Welcome to the New Health Club podcast. The New Health Club podcast is where the conversation around the new age of mental wellness begins. I think that psychedelics will play a big part in this, since we are talking about a new lifestyle here. So what are LSD, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, MDMA or ketamine are exactly doing for our mental health and personal progress. On the New Health Club podcast, I talk to patients who have experienced the psychedelic treatment. I talk to innovators, thought leaders, and disruptors from the emerging new world of psychedelics and mental wellness. Please enjoy the podcast. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs can be punishable by law. Please keep this in mind. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. My guest on this episode today is Elise Lunen, the Chief Content Officer at Goop, the famous health company founded by Gwyneth Paltrow. And since Elise is the Chief Content Officer, she's responsible for the language that is used at Goop if it comes to mental wellness and mental health. I think that Elise created a whole new language around mental wellness. Also in her Goop podcast, she co-hosts with Gwyneth Paltrow. This made me want to talk to Elise, since I think she's one of the first mental wellness philosophers we need right now. Also, I once went on a long walk listening to Elise's podcast voice, and I felt like someone would just take care of me. In this episode, Elise and I talk about how to talk mental wellness these days, about our psilocybin minds and how we distract and numb ourselves and why someone, like she says, sometimes needs to hold the bucket for us. And we are not talking about the ayahuasca bucket here. So now over to Elise. Please enjoy. <laughs> so, but you look, you look fantastic. You look so California though. Oh, thank you. I was just, I'm looking at my monitor and I'm like, oh, the bags are coming. I've been sleeping so badly. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, but you're, you're at home too the whole time, right? I mean, yeah, uh, everybody is right. I think, but thank you so much for doing this. It's like really special to me because I'm such a big fan of your podcast. I'm very super mega excited to have Elise Lernan on the podcast, my idol, basically. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit okay so you are the content director of goop right that's the correct um I'm the, the chief i'm the chief content officer of goop so yeah of goop exactly and i co-host the goop podcast when, when actually did you start there it's not that long ago right i mean the podcast or at, at the company at the company yeah Seven, almost seven years ago, I started, I met Gwyneth in 2013 and mm -hmm. then kind of unofficially started working with her on some stuff that fall and then officially joined at the beginning of 2014. Okay. So it feels like a few hours and a lifetime. It's one of, it's like having yeah. a child, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And what I find especially interesting, I mean... I watched the, the, the TV show that you guys did and your the Goop podcast. I, I'm a regular listener. so But I find interesting um, that it seems that you have developed, and that's why I wanted to have you on the New Health Club podcast, a special, almost like a special language to talk about 
let's say, mental wellness and mental health that I find kind of really specific as a, as a really specific voice in these times. Because, I mean, even before this whole thing happened, what we're experiencing now, but I feel it's really not panicky and still it kind of addresses things um, that are just that we didn't address like five years ago or like 10 years ago. I mean, I worked in media also and Conanas surrounding and so many things um, that we kind of, or you kind of started a conversation about was never ever addressed. And I'm not even talking about women, like in general kind of. So, um, mm -hmm. so how is your, how do you kind of, I mean, you, of course you can't not, you hard, hardly can describe your own language. It's always like impossible, but <laughs> What is, what is the, what does inspire you to talk about the way that, for example, you talk about, and let's, let's take the podcast, the Goo podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's actually really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. And I think that part of it is that I, I always, this might be sound surprising or strange, but I've always felt like an outsider and more of an observer of, um, more of an observer than a participant. And even though I worked at Condé Nast and I went to Yale and a fancy boarding school, I sort of grew up in the woods in Montana and spent a lot of time in solitude. And um, I wouldn't say I was a lonely child, but I didn't have the same sort of um, like play. I didn't have, I didn't have the same socialization experience as other people. And so um, I think because I've never felt like I completely belong, I've never, I've, I've never held back in terms of examining, uh, some of the, the structures and, um, the ways that we do things. Like, I feel like I'm naturally not necessarily disruptive. I'm just curious and questioning. And so I think about even working at Condé Nast and being at Lucky, which was okay. mm -hmm. a disruptive magazine and sort of pushing against, the women's magazine archetype that had, that was at that point Condé Nast bread and butter, not to diminish what there was a lot of great journalism that, and a lot of great writing and service that came out of those magazines, but we all are very familiar with those rubrics and templates and the way that things were discussed. And it felt so strange to me and dissonant. And so I don't know. I think it's just been my second nature to be like, why, why, why wouldn't we have some of these harder conversations from a place of curiosity and, and start to unwind some of these structures that I think have kept us all down and kept us from examining our underlying, underlying fears, feelings, um, yearnings, um, that we haven't addressed because it's scary. Change is scary. And a saying, maybe I don't love what I have, or maybe there's a fallacy in thinking that, that I just need more of the same. That's scary. But I think it's what we're finding, we all want to be having these conversations. Um, and that having the conversation is more reassuring than just stuffing it down. Mm. I find it interesting that when I listened to the, one of the first podcasts with you, I was almost like, oh, when is she going to say, mm, again? Because <laughs> this is so, so nice. It, it gives me such a good feeling. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I want to have this. Where she was like, mm. And then I feel like somebody is kind of <laughs> taking care of me also when I listen to this. 
which, which I mean, That's most, <laughs> because mo most podcasters, I mean, I find myself sometimes in that position too. You don't want to be really like, hmm, yeah, like cool. And just like, you know, like, uh-huh. Mm, that's so interesting. But when then I find sometimes when you listen to yourself, then it's like, oh God, it's like, so it's almost like, um, like you're, you're not at CNN. Okay. Come on. You just, uh, you have a normal <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so no, but I mean, um, obviously like, let's say this idea of mental wellness is kind of a, just a kind of a very recent thing. I mean, everybody, of course, mental health is of course, I mean, everybody would immediately think about depression if you hear about mental health, but mental wellness, I feel like is a term that actually came up, I think in the group podcast pretty early on before, of course, The, the classic thing people were like okay okay this is like so crazy but now obviously it's not so crazy because obviously everybody now especially right now is has to take care of their mental wellness so um and since you're there for a while for a while in a company so um can you talk about how you developed kind of the the idea about this and um i mean how it made it made it into the regular contributing or like um kind of the, the the main group cosmos not only fashion and mm -hmm. i mean which i love but so just i mean it's kind of a really it's a way bigger picture now that you guys address kind of yeah so and i think that i think there's mental wellness and then there's the bigger idea of wellness which we also you know have historically gotten picked on for um, but I think people, as you mentioned, are are turning around on that with a deeper understanding of of what we're actually talking about, um, particularly in this time of a pandemic. But um, for the mental for the concept of mental wellness, again, I think it's like just cracking away at this veneer that some people have it all figured out, and that you get to a certain point in your life you know, to quote Barry Michaels, who wrote the tools, um, he talks a lot about this idea that there's no exoneration from pain and hard work. And he works with a lot of celebrities and powerful people in Hollywood, uh, a lot of creatives, people who are idealized or idolized mm -hmm. um, yeah. by others or sort of there's a, or can be a source of just understandable rage of like, you're in a palace like what do you have to worry about yeah. like you don't mm. understand and the reality is and this is this is indicated by the deaths of despair that are happening all over the world and a lot in america that there is no as barry would say there's no exoneration from pain and hard work there's no point particularly in the material world where we've all been spending a lot of our time and energy where you're like i'm good I'm done. I have yeah. everything I need. Yeah. It's just yeah. a total fallacy. And, um, and people are regardless of socioeconomic class in a lot of pain and lonely and disconnected. And we're very disconnected from nature. And, um, so I think it's just an important conversation that, um, addiction isn't just ravaging, poor rural communities in the middle of the country. It's touching almost everyone's yeah. life in some way. Depression, you know, we, we saw it last year with, um, 
you know, Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade yeah, and yeah. like there's, and we're seeing it with this pandemic. Like you're not exempt at a certain, when you get to a certain point in life. And I think that our failure to have these conversations and to understand that we can ask for help or offer help. Um, but simply like, honestly, I really think it's like we ha- are allergic to hard conversations. And yeah, it's true. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And people just want, a sh- they, they want this. Um, it's a very human reaction. And um, when people feel, you know, it's triggering and they feel that it's uncomfortable to, to have this conversation and then they rush in with an assurance or they rush into troubleshoot or they rush to deflect or suppress what someone might be telling them. We just don't have a lot of um, stamina for having hard conversations and sitting with discomfort. We're just not courageous in that way. And I think it's a, it's a muscle that we are being called to develop. Um, as That's we, good. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, we have to be, able to do that to like literally if a friend is sick to be able to let that person tell them everything that all the things that they think that they won't now be able to see in their life and to be able to just hold the bucket you know and be there for ourselves to meet each other and for ourselves so we can get this stuff out so I think it's like and it's the same with physical wellness it's um it's like preemptively building the skills um, and it's been made sort of a class thing or a privilege thing, um, which I don't think is correct. It's building it's building those internal mechanisms for um, trying to stay well and prioritizing our health and moving our bodies and getting the emotions out of our bodies and yeah. taking care of each other. I find that very interesting, this idea with the, the muscle you're saying. And, I've, and I felt also that this had that muscle had completely disappeared. Yeah. the last years so it feels like but i mean um totally in in the show and in, in the great uh goop lab show you you really go on that trip also and you <laughs> literally <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you have to tell me about this how did you i mean obviously you chose a couple of people you explain it in a show who you were asking to come with you so um but i mean And then you also say after after the trip, when, when you sit there with Gwyneth and Maps, you tell them that it was probably the most important thing you've ever done or like in your life or like a very one of the really important things. So so how how was that for you? How did you, I mean, did you just get in there and was like, okay, I'm going to do it because it's, I should be there because it's the show. And then suddenly a whole other thing maybe came out of it <laughs> without realizing it before. Yeah. How was that for you? Yeah. Well, I will say that, um, doing that, like that was sort of my first experience with psychedelics and then it became, um, it's not something I do all the time, but I have done other things since to sort of understand a wider range of their application. And so I would say in totality, they are, um, incredible healing tools. And I think essential, honestly, for everyone, for me, it was, they've shown me things that I didn't even remember or that had been suppressed in my body that I've been able to actually be sort of, it's been a little bit of a recalibration of my spine, you know, when you just have these stories and you have these reactions to certain things and you have no idea where mm-hmm. it's coming from. 
for me, they've been able to shed light, surprising light, like, wow. Um, from just from some stuff in childhood. And then also I think some of, one of the bigger lessons, um, is having, uh, I, I probably not unlike a lot of women, but having to sort of do that battle for control and really needing to let go and surrender to an experience and, I think for me, the biggest teaching has been about like, there's me and then there's sort of my biology and, um, obviously we're very related, but there are these sort of different levels, not only of who I am, that we all are, but that we're all connected. We're all part of something much bigger. Um, and I kind of knew that, but it's different when you feel it as an embodied Mm -hmm. experience. Um, and so that I think was, I think just that reconnection to source, um, and this feeling of, um, this feeling of like, I'm everything and nothing, like I'm everywhere and nowhere, sort of these like intense, mm-hmm. hard to hold polarities that I, again, it sounds so silly when you're talking about it, but when you actually have the experience you're like, there's a deeper truth that you, that it doesn't really come out in words, but no. it's a, just a profound experience. But I mean, I had one big psilocybin thing and that synthesis. Um, and mm. I mean, like you say, it's like when you talk to people about it, it's like, okay, I, I can't really say what I've seen. They think like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, you were high. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's not really the point. That you are, of course, you're high, but you just, it's not like this idea of high that you had, like, when you were like a teenager, maybe or something. But I mean, um, obviously, like, and then you talked about it in the show afterwards, like how it was and everything. And obviously, it feels that it's going to be a very big topic. I mean, especially in California, because it like always starts there and then kind of ventures to other places and um what what is your um let's say outlook how this is gonna be um let's say available in 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 the two next two years maybe what do you think yeah well so maps is uh because we're in such a crisis for people who don't know what maps is it's the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies and um Rick Doblin, who leads it, is just a, a true, like, spiritual warrior. He's been doing it for, like, 40 years, just indefatigable, like, just pushing and pushing in the loveliest, gentlest way. And he really under, he's a, you know, PhD from Harvard. He really understands government and how to get these things done. And even though it's slow and plotting, he's just not giving up. So we're close on, um, on MDMA for PTSD and they're doing a trial right now, I think in their second stage and assuming, I think they've tested a certain amount of people. And then if it's promising, they don't need to add more. If it hits a certain barrier, they don't need to add more people to the study. Then they'll need to prove that it's safe in larger numbers, which I'm a hurdle. I think they can clear and then it will start to become available in um, extended expanded access. It's still going to be, not widely available, but I think essentially, I think what will happen is that if I had to guess is that as it, as the FDA starts to relax and reschedule some of these drugs, um, that there will be, uh, where people won't be, um, penalized or they'll be, um, 
that I think we'll see more therapists becoming skilled in how to use them and the underground and it'll just become more widely available in that way and hopefully be met above ground as well um, with expanded access. So that's MDMA, which I think is, I've done it. It's very gentle and like a very hard, but beautiful experience um, that's appropriate for a lot of people with done in a therapeutic setting. And then and psilocybin, I think is also making its way quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Also Ibogaine, which mm-hmm. is um, for opioids. I think it's now expanded access in Canada. Um, I think in light of our crisis here that the FDA dependent, you know, can start to get radically behind some of these treatments. I think Ibogaine like done in a hospital mm-hmm. um, would be quite powerful. So I feel often, optim- I mean, I feel more optimistic. It, I haven't been, this hasn't been my life's work, obviously, but so I'm sort of bending around for the more fun part where it seems to be picking up a lot of steam, <laughs> but I do think it's going to, um, become more and more widely available. And, and in terms of depression, ketamine is legal and incredibly yeah. effective. So I think we're seeing more ketamine clinics, et cetera, opening. There was one in, in, in New York, right? I mean, I just read something that, Like, I mean, yeah. just opened before the whole thing happened, but I mean, yeah. it's kind of a walk there in. Were, yeah, exactly. There are a number in sort of urban cities that are becoming more and more. I think people now are realizing what it is. Um, and there's just a debate. It's like, like any community, the psychedelic community, there's, there are lots of debates about like pharma and their involvement mm-hmm. and who gets to, who should be able to participate because they're spiritual agents as well. Yeah. And, so it's, it's its own fraught world. And with ketamine, one of the big ketamine is fascinating because it's so fast. And for those who don't know, it can, for people who are having suicidal ideation, it can literally just walk them way back from the cliff's edge and it works on it. There's a spiritual component to it, which is very symbolic and strange. And then there is, it works on a sort of neuroplasticity um, level as well mm-hmm. and, and sort of gets rid of that rutted thinking. And so ketamine is one of those things, like if you don't do it with an amazing therapist, you're still going to benefit. But of course, many believe like anesthesiologists shouldn't be running these clinics. It should be psychiatrists only, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But more people need it. I mean, isn't that what, I mean, right now, um, everybody kind of, I mean, everybody, but I mean, it seems that you could almost like, put two and two together and expect like a really big PTSD um, pandemic, I mean, the pandemic, but like how many people will have this after experiencing either a death in their family, like completely unexpected three weeks ago, or just like um, their whole life is basically blown up overnight kind of. So, I mean, it it almost makes sense that, I mean, even I think sometimes like, Hmm, I want to do like a, big psilocybin thing after this to really get rid of this um so of course it's kind of suppressing the whole time like how you i mean don't think about the worst okay you go online there's the worst you go offline you can't go offline and i mean this whole kind of cycle i don't think anybody nobody will not be affected by this it's almost impossible in a way No, we're going to have like a culture, cultural PTSD already. I'm sure that's yeah, and it's yeah. happening for people in more yeah. acute stages. And, yeah. But yeah, no, I think it's 
And I think that that's what's really interesting about all of this work is that before, historically, it'd be like, oh, PTSD, that's what, you know, vets have, period. Yeah, yeah. And now I think people are understanding, no, if you are a victim of sexual assault, as you mentioned, if someone dies, yeah. if you have this weird, if you, it's just an accumulation of yeah. extreme stress. Um, and then we all sort of push our own, all those wounds on each other. So mm-hmm. it, it just keeps kicking it down the field. Yeah. And in and, and what way do you, let's say, I mean, or do you negotiate already? Do you talk a lot about at Goop how how this kind of will change your, I don't know, language or your, your messages, your kind of maybe strategy. And I mean, also like to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one of the, I think that this is a, a strange, such a strange time too, because it also brings so many gifts and yeah. discuss sure. widely. It's sure. deeply traumatizing and scary and sad. And, um, and it's also an opportunity, I think, for everyone to hit the reset button and realize that, you know, some of the things that we've been most scared of losing, we've lost. And so what comes out of that? Um, what economy can we rebuild in its wake that's more mm. just and fair, and equal, and maybe less consumer driven or less consumerism driven. Mm-hmm. And so at Goop, it's interesting because we, Not that that's, it's a huge part of our brand. It's sort of how we started is, is, and it's what we're most known for sort of wellness food, um, and that space, but we, we also sell clothing, et cetera. And sometimes it's like, I think we've probably been on the edge of losing the thread, um, and in terms of, um, why we do what we do. And so for us, it's been like, Oh my God, we're home. Like this is where we thrive and this is where we can really be of service and we are a service brand. And so it ha- it's been a very easy, we're lucky. It's been a very easy pivot for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a lot of ways to add to the conversation and access to a lot of experts. And then I think for, as we emerge, as we come through it and hopefully emerge out of it at some point, it's definitely forcing for all of us, the questions of like, what is essential and what are the parts of the economy that we want to drive and thrive in? And what are the parts that we don't and, um, who are, what, 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 what does it, what, what do we look like, um, in an enduring way for people? And, um, so, in that way, it's been sort of like a cleansing fire, mm. and um, and a way for and a way for us to like regalvanize around the things that actually nourish our souls. Um, and it's an interesting brand because it's it's because it comes from Gwyneth. It came from her initially, and now there's a collective of a lot of us. It's like we do the things that we ourselves want. And because we kind of know that that's what our friends want and by extension, friends of friends. And so it's this sort of intuitive female brand. And Mm -hmm. so right now we're just going with that. Like what is in our hearts, as cheesy as that sounds, like, what do we need? Let's do that. And what do we think we're going to need on the other side? And I hope we don't go back to a place of just like distracting ourselves and numbing and all of those things. I Mm -hmm. hope we can sort of like stand here um, and continue to do the work. So I think that this whole thing is a like this, what we're doing collectively in this world is not sustainable. So like time for us to clean it up. And I mean, um, 
so because I mean that's uh, every industry of course will be affected by this but I mean you can see already on let's say for example LinkedIn um, that the whole that a whole lifestyle so-called lifestyle industry is basically not exi not existing anymore after this like hotels mm -hmm. gonna be affected I mean we don't even have to everything everything yeah. So, and I mean, what, what do you think, how will this, let's say, kind of safe idea of lifestyle for the last 20 years or maybe 10 years will be kind of redefined? What do you think for, for the, let's say, um, hedon, more hedonistic industries? What, what will be the biggest change? What do you think? I think that... Um... I think that some of it, like some of the cratering had already started in advance of this. Um, I think that brands that, you know, I was saying in a video that I made, it's like that old saying, um, good, fast, cheap, mm -hmm. pick two. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we're realizing that that is true. So I feel like industries like fast fashion, um, brands that have no real reason for being are, are going to struggle to find not only their footing, but sort of like their audience. I think we're all going to be in a space, you know, anyone who's in lifestyle of saying again, I'm like, does this, is this essential for people in some ways? And maybe it's like, it's beautiful and it's well-made and thus it's essential. Or um, again, going to like, it's good. It's mm. good. And it's, um, it's good and it's fast, but not cheap or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, sure. So I think that we're going to see sort of the middle fallout in a big way, people like brands and companies and you'll see, I'm seeing it. I'm sure you're seeing it as well. Like the small businesses and brands and restaurants yeah. and shops in our communities that were like, I would be, my life would be altered in a very negative way. if like this bookstore doesn't make sure. it or, you know, so I think for me, it's like, Those are the, I hope that we see those being the businesses that thrive, the ones that really add value to our lives. Well, I mean, like the, everybody has their, I mean, I have it, their, their coffee place around the corner in the morning. And I mean, yeah. I've met so many great people there at that business. I met people I met, I met business, I met for business then in the end. And, or we, we even came up doing business to get everything. And this is like completely interrupted right now, for example. So, and then you realize, right. wow, this is really an important place for me to go there at nine o'clock because then this friend of mine is there and we have a little chat and the day starts, for example, completely different than at a really big yeah. coffee manufacturer where I don't meet anybody or something, for example. Exactly. So, um, so I think that that's where people, I think we're going to see that. I think we're miss, we're seeing... Um, and we will continue to see people get sort of decide, you know, I do it when mm. we order dinner. I'm like, okay, which of these restaurants that are meaningful to us are we ordering from tonight? Yeah. And yeah. I kind of, in my mind, I know what five or six they are yeah. to rotate through. And, um, and I think people are doing that with their dollars and other ways to stand up for mm. what really helps in their lives, mm. you know? And um, what do you think is the biggest, or well, the biggest, or, or some kind of, um, let's say, things or developments that actually have brought our mental wellness to the ground recently? Because I feel like we talked about it earlier, because even before the crisis now, I feel also there was a, already a time when 
I mean, obviously, like we have all these numbers, 325 million people on the planet um, are depressed and it's not, it's just, just depression. It's not even anxiety attacks or addiction. So the numbers are as high as never before. So, I mean, what, I mean, since you also, I mean, you, you kind of do a lot of podcasts about people who are experts answering these questions. So what, what would you say are the main, um, let's say enemies of mental wellness? Yeah, I think, um, I would say like disconnection from nature, a disconnection from ourselves, our own bodies and a disconnection from other people. And I think they all feed each other. So I think mm. we have been displaced from nature and we're displacing nature and, um, that we don't have, we're not having those moments of sort of awe and wonder where we feel ourselves in the context of something much greater and more beautiful and, and a wider system. I think we're just isolated and cut off from that for the most part. Um, and I think that there's like real energy that runs between us and the ground and that we don't, we're just out of flow. So I think that there's something happening there on a number of levels. I think that, because of trauma, because we have never, we're not literate in our feelings and our emotions. We can't identify them. We don't know what we're feeling. So when we have that pit in our stomach, we don't, we don't even notice. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for a lot of us, it's like getting back into our bodies and we might never have been in our bodies in the first place. And mm -hmm. then being able to like have that conversation and be like, what, why does my shoulder, I know it sounds crazy, but like, why, why is my shoulder sore? And then letting your body tell you and literally like getting back into conversation with your feelings and digging, like being curious and going underneath it and underneath it. Um, and then I think that that lack of wisdom we have about ourselves and the feelings that we have of not being able to not feeling like we even have enough for ourselves mean that we have nothing to offer each other. And um, we just feel, I think it's just the uh, illness of isolation and um, loneliness and despair. And I think until we start to feel connected to ourselves, to each other, and back to nature, it's just going to, you know, perpetuate in all ways. Yeah, there were already a couple of articles saying that, I mean, there was a social distancing before, before yeah. it already happened, kind of. So, and yeah. I feel the same way, exactly. actually. Yeah in a way. So, I mean, um, before the masks and, um, and all that. So, but before I let you go, I mean, it's like 40 minutes already. <laughs> you could talk for hours. So what is, what is your, the good advice for the stay at home situation? Mm. Tell me your tricks or your, everybody wants to hear them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that I, I like, the first week or two, I let myself like really get sloppy. It just was kind of nice. Um, and I luxuriated in that. And now I'm trying to get more dressed. Mm -hmm. Um, I still have slippers on, but <laughs> like, you know, trying to not let my yeah. entire image of myself like disintegrate. The upper body and part at least kind of. Yeah. The upper body part. <laughs> I'm wearing jeans though. Yeah, okay, and, um, and then, uh, forcing myself to schedule, things, not things for myself in my day, not only so they can't be sort of overridden by team members, but also so that I remember to get up and walk mm -hmm. or to eat, um, or shower. 
So, and like putting in time to write, putting in time to think, putting in time to read. And it's a way also that um, my husband and I can make sure that there's coverage for Zoom calls for our oldest son. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it, I'm just like sort of focused on trying not to waste food, being careful about what we're buying. Again, along those same lines, like mm-hmm. ordering books from the Indies and not from Amazon and um, just thinking about where I'm putting my dollars and what that means. Um and then not being, you know, like it's funny with having kids and this is another perfect example of a system that we've all subscribed to and stopping myself from going to this place of like, Oh my God, my son's going to fall behind. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Honestly, who cares? Yeah. Like think about all the kids, at least in this country, don't even have access to the internet. They don't have computers. Um, hmm. like let a privileged white boy, fall behind too. Um, you know, I think it's, it's an opportunity for all of us to think about like, what are our kids learning? And is this time more important for connection and friendship anyway, than learning addition and subtraction? Um, but I think just prioritizing my sanity and my husband's trying to prioritize his sanity (laughs) over anyone achieving anything. Yeah. I mean, there, there. Rest, yesterday, I read this article about unschooling, even right. I mean, mm-hmm. you just um, some people start to think about that. But um, yeah, so rewilding, think, huh? Rewilding, rewilding. Oh, what, what, what does that mean? It's like going to into nature just, for school. Yeah, just getting, letting it, letting all of these things go a little bit. Rewilding. That's a great word. Cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. We get interrupted by technology, Elise and I. That's why we don't have a proper ending. But just when we started to talk about rewilding, a very interesting thought or word introduced to me by Elise, which came after or comes after the idea of unschooling, our technology kind of broke down. (laughs) This is what happens these days. But This will be the topic of another podcast I would love to do with Elise because probably you could do like 20 podcasts with her. It would be still very interesting. So, but just a recommendation for me, please go on her podcast, the Goop podcast. And I think she has like over 30 or 40 episodes right now talking with authors, doctors, scientists, and um, psychologists about our current situation with mental health and health in general. We see you next week. Bye-bye.